Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Fred Calkins, interim pastor for the Midland and Mount Pleasant Seventh-day Adventist churches. And now, here's Pastor Fred. We're looking at the story of Noah today, and he was one of the men of faith. Hebrews 11 spoke of Noah and his faith. And as a phrase here that I think is worth noting, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. This theme of righteousness by faith is one that we need to settle into our hearts and minds. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't deserve heaven. But God gives it to us as a gift. He wants us to claim it by faith. And that's what Noah illustrated in his life and what a life it was. Now, we read often that there were eight on the ark, four men and four women. Noah was 500 years old when he started having the children that went with him on the ark. I have occasionally wondered if he maybe have had some more children before that. When he was given the call, he was 480 years old, okay? So he had had plenty of time, and God just doesn't give us details on that. But when he was 500 years old, he had his first son named Japheth, and then his second son named Shem, and his third son named Ham. And it may not be important for you to remember those names, but there comes a time that it's good to know them, and they were about two years apart. I was noticing as we were coming to church, God did something really special with people. The next child is big enough to walk by the time the new baby comes. He, he spaced us out so that there's enough time between so that the mother only has to carry at most two at a time. Of course, when you get twins and triplets, things get more complicated, and those do happen. But Noah's boys were two years apart, according to Scripture. How was it that Noah would be such a person that God would call him? A couple of things here in Genesis chapter 6 that you say, oh. Verse 9, it says, Noah walked with God. Well, you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. Well, Noah walked with God, but he didn't get translated. No, Noah walked with God, and he got given a different job to do, build an ark. And then verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's righteous by faith. It wasn't that he lived so perfectly that God said he deserves to be rescued. It's that he trusted God so fully that God said, I can trust him, I can rescue him. We wonder 
how were things that it got so bad that God decided he needed to do something? Well, we have that in this verse 2. Back up to verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. All people were thinking about was wickedness. Well, folks, I've been working in public school for a couple of years. It's bad. This world has really gone sour. Things are rough. I believe we can get a pretty good idea of how things were then with this description from 2 Timothy 3 of how things are going to be at the final end. Because the Bible tells us that there's a tie between things got so bad that God had to wash this earth with water, and at the end, it's going to be even worse, and he's going to wash this earth with fire. Water the first time, fire the second time. 2 Timothy 3. In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. And the doctors are telling us that we should love ourselves. In some ways, perhaps there's some truth in that, but selfishness is rampant. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. I'm in 2 Timothy 3, 2. Boasters. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. We had a handful of students that got suspended from school for a week because of their disobedience. It's not just parents they're disobedient to. Unthankful. Now, you might not have recognized how serious an issue that is, but here it's listed with all these other things. God wants us to be thankful. When somebody does something nice for you, say thank you. I have often been able to open the outside door and hold it open for the uh, 7th and 8th graders as they're coming into the school. And one day, a couple weeks ago, the principal mentioned that there were six students who had said thank you to the one who'd opened the door. And so I was not the one who opened the door that day. But then I started counting. And yeah, with his reminder... That number doubled. But there's 150 students coming through that door. Saying thank you when somebody opens the door is not a big thing. But it's a habitual, when somebody does you a favor, to just say the word. We try to teach it to our children, and they're going to catch it better by example than they were by just saying, tell them thank you, tell them thank you. Our thankfulness to people will also tie to our thankfulness to God. God is doing good things for us all of the time. We talked about how nice it is to have the sunshine and that the weather is warmer than it was last year. Hallelujah. Well, tell him thank you. Go through your life talking to God about the good things you're seeing him doing. That way you won't be dwelling on the bad things that the devil is throwing at you all the time. Focus on the good. And it ties the next word is unholy. You can't make yourself holy, but you can accept the holiness that God is giving you. Verse 3, unloving, 
unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, and that's referenced in that Genesis 6 about how people were doing as they pleased, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Some of you are here in our Sabbath school class. Worshipping of idols, a form of godliness, but not having a connection with the God who provides our needs. By beholding, we become changed. I want to be changed into His likeness, not into the likeness of the stuff that's all around me. I believe those were typical of the sins of Noah's age and also typical of issues today. We are impacted by what we look at. We are not blessed when we listen to stories of wickedness, observe people doing wickedness, or even read about wickedness. We need to focus our minds on the good. Guard the windows of the soul. In Sabbath school class, we talked about choosing your friends wisely. Now, we speak of that for our children. Well, it's still true. Even if you're getting gray hairs, choose your associates wisely. God will influence us through those things that we spend our time on. And that's all the more reason for us to make sure that daily devotional time that we talked about last time. Focus on the good. Refuse to look at bad stuff, evil. So, back to the story of Noah. Noah believed, even though what God said was going to happen was contrary to science. (laughs) They had never had rain. The rivers never climbed out of their banks. And so they assumed that water cannot fall from the sky and the rivers will always stay in their banks. You catch what's going on here? People today are saying, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of the second coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's a very picturesque way of describing the evolutionary theory. All things continue as they were. Well, they don't. This Noah story tells us things do not stay like they were. This they willfully forget. Even the ones who are preaching, teaching, pushing evolution are choosing to ignore things that they know to be true. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water. The world which then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. This story of Noah is really a gripping story, but it's not just about Noah. It keeps pointing us to what's happening today. God said a flood is coming, but rain had never fallen. The sea had kept to its boundaries. God said the water would break forth and destroy everything. 
God told Noah just exactly how to build the boat. Very specific directions. Some have suggested that he was given even a set of blueprints. I don't know. He had enough information. That's what we do know. He had enough information. He knew what to do, but he had to do the work. And don't pretend it was easy work. <laughs> We're told that the wood of that time was harder than the wood of today. Well, <laughs> I've told you I'm a woodworker, and I have a hundred samples of, oh, nearly a hundred different kinds of woods. This is ebony. This is probably the densest of the woods that I have. It's not necessarily the densest wood that is in this earth. And this one is labeled ironwood. It's also quite dense. And I like the coloration. I mean, the, the bold difference between the heartwood and the sapwood is gripping. But these are hard. These are heavy. But the wood that Noah worked with was harder than this. Worked like stone. It was hard work for him to build that ark. And he needed to use the best wood he could find. So he did. His family helped. What family did he have? Oh, yeah. He had a father, Lamech. And I believe Lamech helped. And he also had a grandfather. Remember, we talked about his grandfather last time, Methuselah. And I believe Methuselah, even though he was, we can call him seasoned, I believe Methuselah helped very much right up until just weeks before the flood. And also he had sons. I believe the sons helped. Now, I know he'd been building for 20 years before the sons came along. You get curious about Noah's wife. When and where did he find his wife to have these children in his old age? You wonder how old she was. You just wonder these things. The Bible doesn't tell us. When we get to glory, we can find out some of these things. But those boys, once they get to be, eh, these girls may not be quite big enough yet, but you know what happens. These in the middle, they're big enough. They're able to help. You don't need, by the time you're 8 or 10 years old, you can start fetching and carrying. And by the time they were 18 or 20, they could be given responsibilities. And that I'm sure they did. And they, that they carried their share of the load. I believe that their commitment, their involvement, helped strengthen their commitments to the gospel message that saved them. Because they had to choose to believe. It wasn't that Noah forced them onto the ark. They had the choice. And did you ever wonder why they found wives? And it just seems to me, okay, we know that Noah is the line directly from these godly names that we have there in Genesis 5. But we're not told anything about the background of these girls. But have you noticed that there are three major races in this world? All of the names we have for our races have been used rudely at some time or another. Even Caucasian is a dirty word if you're over in Russia. But those with the white skin tend to be called Caucasian. And then the dark skin gets called Negroid. And then the more yellowish skin is Oriental. I just wonder if... That's where these three races came, is from those wives. You don't know, but you wonder. I love the song that we sing. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. 
Now, I kind of think that those first three, red, brown, and yellow, are probably oriental, and then the black and the white gets the rest of us. They're all, we're all important. We're all precious. One more issue that we notice as we look at this. Everything that Noah owned was invested in the ark. We sometimes wonder, well, how much should I give? And we've got various projects going on. We've got a school that costs us as a church. We're on the temple plan. We say this is an important thing for us as a church to have this school. And we as a church are going to make sure this school goes. That costs money. And I'm glad for it. You're doing great. I had opportunity to look at the financial reports. And I praise God for what I'm seeing. And then we're saying, maybe because of various issues, we need to bring this closer to the church, because it's a long ways, 20 miles down there where the school is, and it's an old building. So something needs to be looked at. And I had thought about trying to get a, a report of how much money has come into that fund, but you'll get that report in due time. It's going to cost us to be ready for the second coming. And if you wonder how much it's going to cost us, this illustration of Noah helps you know it will cost everything you have. There are reports today that the money you have in the bank may not be secure. I don't know how this world's going to go, but things surely shook up in the last year in relationships, and it makes it so that we can easily see that things will be shaken in eternal issues, financial issues. It, it will happen. It makes it easy to understand where Revelation says that you won't be able to buy and sell in the end. You can have a million dollars in the bank, but it won't do you a bit of good if you can't pull it out or can't spend it. It will cost us everything that we have and are to be ready to go with Jesus. That's what happened with Noah, and it'll happen with us. You would have thought that when the miracles started happening, the people of Noah's day would start getting on board the boat. <laughs> it's a warning for those who say, well, I'm not getting right with the Lord yet because I want to still have some more fun in life. I'll wait. <laughs> it's so dangerous. And trust me, the most fun in life is working for the Lord. It's so much more fun than serving the devil. The devil doesn't care. He will ring you out and throw you away. But the Lord will protect you. It's so much more fun serving the Lord. But people have this notion that there's pleasure in sin, and there is a limited, short-term kind of pleasure in sin. But they started seeing miracles, and in response to the miracles, they hardened their hearts and turned away from God. Scary. First thing is Methuselah dying right on time. The boat has been built. Finishing touches are being put on. And Lamech had died about five years before the flood. But Methuselah hung on, and he was getting to be older than anyone had ever yet seen. 969 years. And then, a couple weeks before the flood, he gets tucked into the ground. The timing, you people would have, should have seen this. 
But then a week or so later, here come the animals marching. And these are wild animals, lions and tigers and elephants and bears that are just coming into the ark so gently and politely and properly. They're just walking in. And here's Noah and his family directing them. You go in this cage, you go in this cage, you go in this cage. And the cages weren't very big. I was told that it's good when you're having a horse stall, you should have 10 by 10 by 10, 10 feet tall for each horse. They didn't have that much space. (laughs) Now that you get all various kinds of animals that I can imagine on there, they were crowded. The elephant had room to just barely. And I suspect they probably put them in as pairs. The clean animals went in by sevens. That's a fact that lots of people don't know. Treasure that and don't be slow to look up. I think it's chapter 7 where that's mentioned. Be quick to share with people. That's very huge and we catch that more in the end of the story. The animals started coming and people started saying, what's going on? Noah says, God's getting ready to close the door. But the religious leaders who had been involved in trying to poo-poo and deny anything that Noah was saying, oh, well, you know, God would never actually destroy. Noah's doing some magic work, maybe with oil on his skewer stick. God's doing some magic work. (laughs) Well, God's doing some supernatural work, but it's not magic work. When we use the word magic, we kind of tie it to the things that are more sleight of hand. God does supernatural stuff. That nothing is impossible with him, but as sure as things that I never imagined could have been done. Well, the animals came. And the birds too. The, The rushing of the wings as they come in. And each one given their own spot. There were seven stories And in each story, there could have been several layers of cages. It was carefully designed and wisely done. God had to give Noah more instructions than what we read here for him to know how to do what he was doing. And then the third major miracle. Animals are all in. Noah has given his final appeal. God says, it's time for you to get in there. Noah and his family are in, and with a bright light coming from heaven, an angel comes down and picks up that door and closes that door. It was impossible. It would have been impossible for the people on the inside to open the door or to close the door. God closed it. I don't know what design he had so that it latched so securely, but it latched securely. It was watertight. That's some pretty careful measuring that it would fit so tight you wonder if maybe as it was being closed the angels did a little bit of tweaking because sometimes when you're doing joinery you need to shave a little off here in order to make it fit it fit it fit tight and snug the people still scoffed you would have thought that with that they'd say uh just a minute is there a way for me to climb up and get in through the window There was an 18-inch tall window up there. People could have slipped through that. But no, 
Nobody tried to sneak in afterward. They all accepted this. Religious leaders dictate that, ah, oh, that's just a bunch of foolishness. Ignore it. Noah's just a fanatic. We'll be getting those same kind of criticisms in the final scene of this world's history. They were exalting nature above the God of nature. They were thinking that by studying nature, they could know about God. And while there's some truth to that, you've got to keep in mind that He's the one who created the nature. It's not that the nature is creating God. And so the nature is merely a reflection of God. It doesn't explain all there is about it. And there has been an evil power who has involved himself in nature, and it's not the same as it was. While the animals came into the ark two by two, in careful pairs, none of the amalgamated species, they had done some interbreeding and made some other kinds of stuff by then. And we even have pictures of people putting horse heads on lions and things like that. We don't know what amalgamations they had done, and mostly what we've done has been with pictures. And if you really want to see wild stuff, start watching cartoons. I don't recommend that. But we're doing wild stuff, at least in our minds. I'm reminded of a phrase I learned when I was a little shaver. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Even in the face of those miraculous signs, people refused to believe the truth of what was right straight in front of them. We need to be careful that we're staying in connection with Jesus so that we will know truth when we see it and honor it in our lives. Conversion is a miraculous process. You can't fake it till you make it. You can't keep coming to church and think that it's going to work out all right. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then you're saved. Now, you can smile and make yourself happier by smiling. That's a proven thing, that if you wear a smile, it will help make other people happier too. <laughs> but it's not that simple in trusting in Jesus. You just have to trust Him. You can't pretend to trust Him and think that it's going to eventually work out. No, you have to recognize that by the grace of God, I have been rescued from the sin that so easily besets, and I'm trusting Him. You make that trust. You make that commitment. It's Didn't I start with this word righteous by faith? That was Noah and that's us. Trusting that the God who promised is able to deliver. He says, I am saving you from your sin. Not in your sin, but from your sin. And we trust Him and we let Him take the sin out of our life. In that regard, we need to realize God invites us to test Him. You've got to see that God answers prayers. Yes, we pray for people. Every Sabbath we pray for people. Well, I hope every day you're praying for people. Pray for yourself. This prayer started with, Lord, forgive us. That's a good place for a prayer to start. Although I prefer to start with praise, praising God for how good He is, how strong and powerful He is, and looking at those things, but also acknowledging my need. Malachi 3, God says, test me. Prove me now herewith. 
it's interesting to see that finances is an area where it's fairly easy to test God. As Strong Tower Radio has this phrase about give until you giggle. God loves the cheerful giver. Don't give until it hurts. No. Give trusting God. Okay, God, I don't have enough to buy food for my family, but I know you're going to feed my family. Remember the widow? Putting in all she had, trusting that God would supply her needs. We need to be understanding. Sometimes God calls us to put it on, on the altar. My daddy's experience when Strong Tower Radio was getting started, where he woke my stepmother up and said, the Lord has told me that we need to sell our stocks and invest in the radio station. That was 2008. Summer of 2008. Just before it fell apart. God's timing is awesome. Trust Him. Just say, okay, God, I want to know what you want me to do. I want to do what you want me to do. And He will tell us. And if you if you overextend yourself, He's able to figure out, make up the difference. Your bread and your water will be sure. We've got to put ourselves out far enough that we need for God to work miracles in our life so that we can see that He's a God who answers prayer. We need to let Him rescue us by risking for Him. Noah sure did. What an illustration. Now, conditions were not pleasant inside the ark. It was a barn, give me a break. It stunk. There was a heavy lot of work to be done. And that boat in those heavy seas was pitching and rolling forward and backward and up and down. People could hardly stand, let alone all the sickness that was going on in man and beast. The ark would not have held together except that angels held it together. God protected the ark in that experience. It was not pleasant inside the ark, but it was deadly outside the ark. Do what God invites you to do, or else there's no security or safety. They chose to be in the ark with Jesus. When they came out of the ark, Noah made thank offerings. That's chapter 8, verse 20. Noah built an altar when he got out of the ark and offered on it from every clean animal. Now, there's another thing that we, who've been paying close attention to this, are ahead of some others. I was told, I haven't been able to go to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. I know I lived there for 40 years, but that doesn't mean I got to go to the Ark Encounter. It was too pricey, too far away, and it just never happened. I'd like to, but I have friends who did, and they were a little shocked to discover that the... Um, animal that is portrayed on the altar there for Noah when he gets off the ark was a pig. And they tried to challenge him on it. And said, oh, no, no. You know, you know how people justify whatever they're going to do. He only offered clean animals on that sacrificial altar because if he offered unclean animals, he would have cut the population in half, and there was only one male and one female. Whereas with the sevens, he could offer, and there would still be enough to populate. So there's evidence, even from the story of his sacrifice, 
of what he put on the altar. And he didn't have much. And he had carefully cared for these clean animals for over a year inside the ark. And yet from his scarcity, he still gave the thank offering. There's a lesson in that. From his scarcity, he still gave a thank offering. We need to make God first, last, and best in all of our life. God recognizes and respects all of the gifts that we choose to give to him. And then God gave him the rainbow. The rainbow has been stolen, misused, confused, but God gave us the rainbow. The symbols that Satan most misuses are symbols that God has given and they have heavenly significance. That rainbow never existed before the flood. Things were different before the flood. The archaeologists and paleontologists who tried to study how things were, if they don't recognize the issue of a flood, they completely misunderstand what they see in the fossil record. Things were different before the flood. There was no rain, so there was no rainbow. There were waters. I believe there was an envelope of waters that were above the earth that changed how the whole atmosphere was. I think the oxygen saturation in the air was higher then. I think there were a lot of differences. And the scientists, of course, thought that things would never change. God's astute enough that he can make living conditions different than what we're experiencing here. And he's probably got more different kinds of living conditions than even the two that we have before the flood and after the flood. His mind is bigger than ours. He can imagine things we can't. We look at the way things are and we say, this is in amazing balance. Our distance from the sun, rotation. There's so many aspects that we say, if it was just a little different, everything would be dead. Yeah? Well, God's got other ways of just tweaking it so that it was different. And it was very sustainable. But since then, we see rainbows. I love rainbows. Sometimes they're double rainbows. Sometimes they're even triple rainbows. It's really, really exciting. God says, I'm making a promise. I'm going to continue to care for you until the second coming. So God invites us so powerfully and awesomely He invites us to trust Him. Give me your heart. Trust me with all that you have, all that you are. And He promises that as we trust Him, He will carry us through. He will provide for our needs. That's the only way for us to be safe. In benediction, may the Lord bless you and comfort you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and surround you with his love. May the Lord be with you through trials by day and by night, smiling his grace into your life, giving you his peace and healing rest. Amen. God bless you. You've been listening to Fred Calkins, Interim Pastor for the Midland and Mount Pleasant Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed his sermon, why not visit one of his churches? 
The Midland Church is located at 2420 East Ashman Street, Midland, Michigan, and their church service begins at 1045 a.m. And the Mount Pleasant Church is located at 1730 East Pickard Road, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11 a.m. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.